I make sure up front they understand that I don't own risk. The company owns it. Hmm. Because the companies make decisions on the technologies they bought or the processes that they put in place. One of the things that stands out to me as just an outsider, I'm not a CISO, is the salary. He goes, dude, he goes, I'm going to fire you. You've got 90 days. And I just looked at him and I'm like, what? I said, you've got 90 days. Find something. Get out of here. Who says tech can't be human? What's going on, Hacker Belly fam? Welcome back to the show. My guest this episode is a legend in cybersecurity and to my knowledge is one of the first chief information security officers that wrote the book to help usher in the next wave of CISOs. My special guest this episode is Gary Hayslip. Gary is the chief information security officer at SoftBank Investment Advisors and author of CISO Desk Reference. There's multiple volumes of this book that will be dropping in just throughout this episode. Gary's also been on the podcast before. He's Hacker Valley alum and most importantly, family. Gary, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Rod. I'm, like I said, I'm really happy to be here. Yes, glad, glad that you're here. Glad to have you back. I wanted to go back to the archives, go back to the life of Gary. Everyone that I know that knows Gary knows you as a CISO, but there, there's life before that and there's things and experiences that you had. So I wanted to start there. You know, let's rewind back a little bit. What were the things that happened in your career that led up to being a CISO? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, the thing was, the, uh, I was, um, you know, I, I did a full career in the military, you know, before I, um, before I came out, you know, in private industry. Um, so, I mean, I was already involved in IT and in, you know, cybersecurity when I was in the military. And, uh, and so I was doing IT already and I was already, I kind of had a security team and an IT team and, and, you know, and doing different stuff. And, um, you know, I, um, and it's, I just found, you know, security to be a lot more interesting. Yeah. I like puzzles. I like, you know, figuring out how to, you know, fix things and break things and, and solving for, okay, if we're going to do this and, you know, how would you know, how would this be hacked or how would this be broken? And I just found more and more, I started aligning more towards security and in the auditing and looking at how DOD networks were put together. And then before I know it, I was running security teams. And this was in the early 2000s. This was around about, you know, 2005, 2006, I started noticing the more senior you are, the more you deal with business executives, the more you deal with, you know, leadership teams, the more, you know, if you want to be effective, you know, and so by, uh, I would say by 2008, 2010 time frame, right around in there, you know, but then I had transitioned out of the military. I was now working civil service, you know, for the federal government. And, um, and that's when I decided to get my MBA because I realized it was a whole other language that was being spoken that I didn't really understand. So I, I needed to better understand business. So every chief information security officer that I've spoken to has kind of described not having a clear path, like there's not really a promotion process or like a career 
uh, plan that you could like really plan out. Um, there's some people that I know that want to be a CISO that are still trying and, you know, they came from a technical background and there's other people that have like more of a business background. What was that final push that got you there from being a CIO to chief information security officer? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, it is interesting that, you know, there is, I mean, you know, because the way um, each organization uses someone in that role is very different. Yeah. So it isn't like, you know, there's just a plan of this is what a CISO is. They do these things and it's always the same in every company and every organization. Because it's not, you know, it's one of those roles that is very malleable mm -hmm. and the business will change things in and out depending on what they want you to do. Now, there are some core things, you know, around managing your security stack, managing some type of risk, probably doing some type of risk management GRC piece. You know, so there's some core things, but that's about 40% of the job. The other 60%, you just don't know what you're going to, you know, deal with. And each company is kind of different. You know, for me, and I think what, what happens is that a lot of times you, um, you know, say you're a network engineer or maybe you're somebody in dev and you've been running a dev team or whatever, and then you get pulled into, you know, a project that has something security related involved with it. And so you're running a team of people. Some of them are security oriented, some of them are dev oriented or, or network engineering oriented. And, you know, and as you're a team leader for that team, you end up becoming known as the security team leader or, you know, the security manager or because you're managing security around that group. And so I think what ends up happening is, is you really start as a, a team leader, yeah. you know, kind of in charge of a team of, of people. You know, and you're doing security for the business. And then, um, as the business matures, the role matures, and then you're, there's more that's expected of you. And a lot of that is trust. They've learned to trust you as the security manager. And so now they're giving you more things to do. And so your role jumps from being a security, like leader of a small little team to being a security manager for the organization. And then as the company gets larger and matures and they're, maybe they're doing more with partners and more with third party, you know, more with uh, stakeholders outside the company, that security manager role jumps up to being a security director mm -hmm. or a chief information security officer. You know, I think depending on the business will depend on whether you're a leader, a manager, a director, or a full on CISO, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it depends on the maturity of the business and what they're doing. But as a practitioner, if you're looking at, you know, wanting to eventually be a CISO, look at that, 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 that line of events. What I would recommend is going from being an individual contributor mm. to running a team, running a project, you know, short-term, long-term, but being known for being able to run a team, for being able to manage a security issue or multiple security issues across a technology stack. So you pick up that experience and then becoming a, some type of a security leader where you're not just dealing with just security, but you're now working with audit and you're working with compliance and you're working with finance and you're working with HR because now you need to work with peers and you need to understand how the business works, how they use technology, how they use data. That starts giving you a lot more contextual experience of understanding how security sits in a business yep. and how it impacts the business and what value you're bringing to the business. So you go from project to being a larger leader in the business, and then you're ready to be in a CISO. 
And the reason why CISO is different is CISO, as a CISO, you're running multiple teams. Yeah, I've been in security since 2010, and it took until 2019 until I even became a manager. And part of that was my own doing because I was so caught up into the weeds, into the tech. I loved it, still do. Um, the more that I learn about the CISO role, the less that I feel like I know. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. I'm sure you feel like, you know, there's something that you learn new every day. There's two ways that I look at it, though, right? There's the chief information security officer, and then there's the chief security officer. What are the differences and where are the different paths there as well? Well, I mean, it's like I'm doing both right now. <laughs> you know, the chief security officer role tends to be more physical security. Yeah, so it's it's you kind of have digital security, you know, cyber security, you know, the security operations piece. And that's the traditional stuff. You're dealing with firewalls, you're dealing with identity, you're dealing with, you know, email security. Then you have physical security. You're dealing with security cameras and door swipes and you're dealing with, you know, uh, elevators and you're dealing with lighting in, in the parking garages and you're dealing with, you know, um, you know, ID cards and, and setting policies on when people can access doors and when they can be in buildings and you know, you're dealing with, unfortunately, you're dealing with, you know, um, policy on you know, how to deal with active shooters. You're dealing with, mm. you know, how to deal with emergencies like an earthquake. And, you know, and, um, you know, CIS, you know, CSOs tend to deal with that. And so you tend to have one or the other, though I'm starting to see more uh, CISOs take on the physical security role as well. Mm. And the reason is that a lot of the physical security stuff is technology-based. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, I, you know, I use a, a technology platform that the cameras and doors and elevators and everything are all tied into. So typically, uh, you kind of see some organizations put them together, you know, smaller organizations, larger organizations kind of break them apart just because they've got, you know, tons of campuses and large buildings. And so you tend to have them as two separate, you know, um, executives, but, you know, for those systems who are well, I should just be the the CSO too. Warning, there's a lot of work involved in physical security. And it's not an easy thing to manage. You know, you definitely want to make sure you have the resources and bandwidth to go ahead and take on, you know, that role if you're thinking about, you know, getting involved with it. One of our producers uh, reached out right before we hit record and she was like, hey, can you bring something up during the episode? And it was something that they heard on another podcast. And it was the fact that um, you had a mentor that said, if you don't leave this organization, I'm going to fire you. And it was to help give you that that fire in your belly, that that push to be a chief information security officer. What What's the story behind that? You know, um, actually, he's a, he's a very, and he's actually a very close friend of mine. His name is Palmer Tasker, you know, and Palmer was awesome. You know, he was, uh, you know, we were federal civil service in the U.S. Navy together. And, um, you know, he was our CIO at the military, you know, command that I was at. Um, and I was the, the CSO and the deputy CIO to him. And, um, you know, and it was actually working with him that I realized, you know, I'm sitting in all these executive meetings with, um, with, you know, SES, with senior executive service, you know, personnel from the, from the Department of Defense and with, you know, admirals and all this stuff. And, and they're talking budget and they're talking strategy and all this. And, and I'm just like, 
I have no idea what the hell they're talking about, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and I, that's what I realized, you know, I don't understand income statements and balance sheets and budget and all this. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Navy chief. I was never trained yeah. on that. You know, I was trained more on managing my team and more at, at, at the, not at the 30,000 foot level at the hundred foot level, you know, um, you know, uh, and so that was, that's what drove me to get my MBA. That was a two-year process, you know, going through the executive MBA program. And after, you know, and I'm still working with Paul. We're still working, you know, in, uh, in civil service. And as I was graduating, that's what he told me. He goes, dude, he goes, you've outgrown your role. He goes, you don't need to be here. And unfortunately at that time in, you know, when I was graduating in, uh, in, uh, in 2013 with my MBA, most of the, you know, most of the SES roles, the senior executive roles in the federal government, you know, especially around cybersecurity, they're all in DC. Yep. You know, I didn't really want to move back to DC. Not from San Diego. <laughs> Not from San Diego. You know, and it was just, unfortunately, it's just the way it was. You know, there was a lot of interesting roles that I know that I could have qualified for. And so, and so he goes, yeah, he goes, he was, uh, and he basically told me, he goes, that's out for you. He goes, you've outgrown it. It's not available for you. You're not going to sit here in your office staring out that window, mm-hmm. you know, for the next 10, 15 years, you know, thinking that I could have done this or I could have done that. He goes, dude, he goes, I'm going to fire you. You've got 90 days. And I just looked at him and I'm like, what? I said, you've got 90 days. Find something. Get out of here. You know, he goes, uh, and, and I sit there and at first I was, First, I was pissed, you know, and then, you know, and, uh, you know for, for about a day. Yeah. You know, then I, I come back to him and, I, and, he, and it made sense. And I said, you don't need to fire me. I got it. I know what you, I, I know what you mean. We'll get it taken care of. And I was gone in about six weeks. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, you know, uh, and it was kind of funny. It was the first time, you know, you ever get one of those tough love things from a mentor, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you need that. And for those of us that mentor people. There are times where you got to give them the old Gibbs Denoso slap on the back of the head and say, dude, or do that. You got to tell him or her, what are you doing? You know, that makes no sense. You know, I've managed teams, I've trained, and, but I, you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I've done what I, I need here from a professional standpoint, from a growth standpoint, you know, I want to flex. I want to add more. I want to do more. Yep. You know, do I have that capability or not? You know, and at the city of San Diego, I had reached out pretty much as far as I was going to go. Um, and then at WebRoot, you know, uh, I was still building and having fun at WebRoot, but we got acquired, you know, and uh, it just happened to be the company that acquired has already had a system. Mm. And so it was time to move. Yep. And then at SoftBank, it's just been the last four and a half years have been a train ride. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, man. One of the things that stands out to me as just an outsider, I'm not a CISO, is the salary. That's the one thing that will really gravitate me towards being a CISO is the salary. Uh, we love Michael Piacente at Hitch Partners, and he does the reports every year. And uh, it came out that the report showed, you know, for a private company, maybe you get paid three ninety eight base, and then for a public company, somewhere around four hundred fifty thousand, which is amazing. I think that those are beautiful numbers. And it's it's rightfully so, especially with all the smoke that's going on right now with uh, solar winds. It, it's really got people clutching their pearls in a, in a way. Uh, but what you don't hear about a lot is the interview process of a CISO. I would imagine, you know, with all of the wide range of skills that you need, 
um, all of the opportunity and risk that comes with uh, having someone, you know, oversee your security is is a big deal. What what are some of the kind of key pieces that uh, people interview for to try to find a CISO uh, for their organization? Yeah, I mean, it's, I have to admit, I mean, you know, the, the interview process is quite unique because, I mean, a lot of times they pretty much expect that you already have the technical experience coming to the table. You know, you already know about firewalls. You already know about SIM. You already know, you know what I'm saying? So you have that. But what they're, a lot of times, what they're wanting to know is, is that, what do you know about GRC and managing risk and keeping our auditors and regulators happy? Mm -hmm. you know, what experience do you have with dealing with three-letter agencies and regulators and stuff? You know, um, what experience do you have in dealing with leadership teams and managing individuals you know, who have opinions? You know, um, how do you handle if they have different opinions and they're, you know, um, and managing risk at that level and basically being able to go ahead and get buy-in to get something managed or to get something done. And so they ask you a lot of these situational questions, you know, and I spend a lot of time explaining to them and I make sure up front they understand that I don't own risk. The company owns it hmm. because the companies make decisions on the technologies they bought or the processes that they put in place. Some of them have been there for years. Yep. My job as a CISO is to understand the risk, make it evident, come up with multiple different ways in which we can go ahead and manage it, delete it, transfer it to somebody else. And then we as a team figure out the approach and what we're going to move forward. And then once we move forward, then my team will monitor and then we continually assess. You know, I'm going to be heavily involved, but I am not your scapegoat on decisions that were made before I got there. We will manage them together. We have some news to share with you, a member of the Hacker Valley Media family. As of 2023, we became a full-time independent cybersecurity media company, and we're committed to bringing you the most powerful, thought-provoking stories in the field of cybersecurity. And we learned we can't do it alone. We'd love to invite you to our exclusive Patreon community, where we host a monthly mastermind where you can meet like-minded individuals in the field of cybersecurity that are trying to be more creative and be the best version of themselves that they can be. We would love if you took a second and visited patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio, and we'll see you in the mastermind. With that said, I'm also not Mr. No, I'm Mr. Maybe. And what I mean by that is that you can bring things to me. I'm not going to tell you no, I'm going to tell you maybe. We're going to come up with ways in which we can deal with things. Right. When I was at WebRoot back in um, um, 2018, in my process there, I found we had a really old server. And that freaked me out, you know. Um, and I'm like, why the hell do we got this thing? This should have been deprecated and shut down years ago. Well, by contract, we have to keep the server up because it's running an old piece of software that we still have customers that are using until we're able to shut it down and we're projecting like 18 months out. Mm -hmm. If you are a black and white system, you're going to be freaking out saying, we've got to do it this way, da da da, da. You've got to shut this down. If you are Mr. Maybe, you're like, okay, this is business. They're bringing in several hundred thousand dollars, blah, 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 you know. I'm going to get run over if I try to shut that down. Right. However, there's risk exposure. How do I deal with this? You get your team together. You figure out multiple controls that you can, you know, secondary and tertiary controls you can put in place that you can monitor it. 
you work with the dev team to make some recommendations so that they can go ahead and, you know, make some changes and then we manage it and we were able to shut it down in six months. Mm. You know, that's how I look at, you know, as a CISO, that's how I look at you're really effective. And that's how, you know, a lot of the questions I get asked in the interviews is that they're looking at, do you have that experience? Do you have that capability of not being rigid, but being flexible and being able to pivot and being able to make recommendations because the business is still going to be the business, right? They're still going to want to go ahead and make money and keep shareholders happy and to be able to go ahead and get stuff. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you got to figure out is how do you at times help, you know, help the business protect itself from itself, <laughs> yep. you know, but still not interfere with, you know, the services and the things that they're doing. And, you know, and, and in a lot of ways for us, so it's, it's, it's a maturity thing. You know, you will learn about this as you continue to grow in the role. You'll learn about this talking with peers saying, has anybody ever seen this before? What do you guys think? You know, how do you, you know, what's the approach? And so you kind of grow with it. And in the interview process, a lot of the soft school questions stuff they're asking about is that, is how do you deal with these kind of things? Because that's what a lot of what the job is. The more senior you get in the role, it's the reason why it's such wide ranging and such impacting is because you don't, you're not in a box anymore. I mean, you know, so you get questioned a lot about that and, and, and your approach, you know, and a lot of times it isn't a right or wrong question. It's just, they want to understand your approach and then does it fit with how they're currently operating? Looking at, you know, your background and, you know, what, what you're doing today, what goes into your role now as uh, CISO at SoftBank Investment uh, Advisors? Well, I can tell you, you know, SB, we call it SBIA. Okay. It's uh, the Vision Fund, Vision Fund 2, the Latea Fund. There's multiple investment funds, you know, um, and we're part of the larger SoftBank group. I can tell you it's not black and white. It's gray, <laughs> you know, and the reason it is, the reason is, is that the role itself is, is pretty wide ranging. I mean, we have the regular, you know, cyber operations and, you know, the security team itself is very integrated with the IT team. You know, and which is normal. I mean, you know, the IT stack and the security stacks tend to be intertwined together. Um, you tend to do, you know, change together. You tend to do your scrum stand-up meetings together. Um, we also work with our portfolio companies. We have about 560 portfolio companies. Mm -hmm. I probably get three or four a month that reach out for different things where, and everything from, Hey, we're writing policy for the first time, or we're getting SOC 2 certified or, you know, um, or want to do a tabletop exercise. Um, if it's a cybersecurity company, I'll be really involved um, because I typically know the founders mm -hmm. or I know the technology or the company. And, um, and I'll be working with the investment team. And a lot of times my team you know, may be involved as well because they may want their input as well to better understand the technology. <laughs> um, we also um, are a big Gen AI you know, company as well where we're using chat GPT enterprise and a lot of the different variants, you know, they're being now, you know, uh, integrated into, you know, various SaaS solutions. Um, and so we're, you know, we're already looking at from a security stack point of view, you know, how do, how do we monitor Gen mm -hmm. AI? How do we manage yeah. it? You know, our staff is trained in it. We got policy in place, you know, and we're looking at a lot of different, you know, Gen AI startups, you know, from a monitoring standpoint, so I can look at, my team, I want them to use it. I've given them their freeway. They got their lanes. You know, well, they're running and being innovative. That's fine. But I still need to be able to monitor and make sure 
that, you know, um, how we're managing data and who we're giving access or what data we're pulling down. You know, we may pull down data that maybe is intellectual property that belongs to somebody else. And by accident, we should not have it, you know? Um, so it's stuff like that, you know, we're, you know, so we're heavy in the Gen AI, um, you know, our founder is acquiring companies, mm -hmm. you know, AI related companies, and we, you know, uh, work with them, you know, from a security standpoint, you know, um, helping them, you know, standing up security, managing and maturing their security processes, um, you know, getting SOC 2 certified, you know, so it's, it is, it's a wide range of stuff. And then we also have audit, you know, we've got about five different regulators that we deal with. So I probably deal with about a dozen audits a year. Uh, so I'm up to my eyeballs with audit as well. I mean, so it's, yeah, it's a wide range of different things from a technology perspective, from a risk perspective. I bet. I mean, it sounds like a lot, you know, before we hit record, we were talking about jamming about Gen AI a bit. And I, I wish we had a little bit more time to touch on it, but I did have one last question for you uh, because you've written so many books. And for anyone that doesn't know, Gary, you have one of the largest LinkedIn followings that I've seen in cybersecurity. Big kudos for being such a trusted mentor, advisor, and, you know, leader in the space. I'm looking at the books. You have the CISO desk reference. You have the essential guide for uh, cybersecurity. You also have develop your own path into cybersecurity. Looking at your body of work, looking at you know the experiences that stand out most to you. Which one was your favorite to write? You you know the story how uh, the desk reference guide series came about, don't you? I I don't you think know, so. It, okay. Well, see, there's you know there's desk reference guide volume one and volume two, mm -hmm. and they're made to be as a set. The whole thing started, it was kind of funny. I, I had been writing a lot of um, uh, articles and stuff for veterans that were transitioning and I wanted them to come into the cyber, you know, uh, community, you know, to still, cause this is a place where you can still have a mission where you can still serve and you can still, you know, to me, you know, do good and, and have that kind of mentality of what it was like when you were in the military. And in writing those articles and stuff, you know, I run into my two co-authors were at a startup event. We're having some fish tacos, having a nice, you know, uh, having a nice beer and enjoying chat. And they were like, well, you need to write a book. You know, Matt Stamper's like, well, you need to write a book. And I'm like, oh, that's too much work. I don't want to write a book. <laughs> you know, and then Bill Bonnie goes, well, why don't we write a book? You know, and so he came up with the idea of, well, why don't we write a book? And then all three of us are looking at each other and we're like, okay. You know, and it was, and it just kind of happened, you know, over fish tacos and beer. And then the next day. You know, we're in a meeting and we start mind mapping out what it would look like. And it just progressed from there. And about roughly about 14 months later, volume one was published, you know, and it just kind of oh, took wow. off from there, you know, and then each of the books have followed, you know, of the five books that I've done, you know, the volume one, volume two for the desk reference guide. And then the executive primer is really written for leadership teams, for CFOs, CIOs, you know, people that work with the CISO and work with the security team. And we wrote the primer to help them understand how to work with us because we found a lot of times people just don't understand the role as it's progressing and expanding, you know, and we've had CEOs buy the primer and give it to their board members and stuff, mm. you know, so it's been, uh, it's been a, a really good book, but, you know, and then we did the, uh, the, you know, the path one was for people coming into the security industry. And I wrote that with Renee Small and Chris Fallon, the last one. Well, I think was the best one that I really enjoyed doing. And it was when I was at WebRoot, I was dealing a lot with small businesses. Many of them had small security teams or no security teams. And I had written a whole bunch of articles on security, you know, because most companies are somewhere between 
50 new employees to 500 employees or somewhere in that range. And that's what that book was written for. Yeah, and that book was written for how to build your first security team. What policies should you write first? How to put together a budget? How to explain to your CEO that you actually need funding? <laughs> and this is the way this is an approach, you know? Um, and so that one was, you know, honestly, you know, of, of the five books, the reference guide series, I love, and I get people all over the world. It's in multiple languages and it's in being used in universities. You know, there are so many people that are in that area, in that startup space, in that space where they're just starting to grow a security team. And that's what that book was for, was to, to give you a starting point. Love that. Love that. For anyone that hasn't checked out any of these five books, I would recommend picking them all up because they all have their own element that I think anyone in cybersecurity could relate to. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to jump on the ones and twos with me and speak to our audience. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Gary, be sure to check out the show notes or description wherever you're listening or watching, and we will be sure to see you all next time.